0: Hello from Austin, and welcome to episode 231 of the National Security Law Podcast. We're brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Tuesday morning, January 23rd, 2023, and it's not your imagination. We've at least temporarily regained our status as a weekly show. I'm Bobby Chesney.
1: I'm Steve Locke. I think it's January 24th. Is it? You got too excited about it being let us. You know, you know I, wrote, I wrote my little uh, intro last night. That's all yeah. good. But Plus yes, no. it, it is still hey, You week. know, I was trying to make it a uh, once
0: every six days kind of show. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> hey, oh, back-to-back weeks. Uh, Unbelievable. This will never happen again. Of course, we, you know, we're counting our, our eggs for the hatch. We haven't posted this yet. We're just recording it. <laughs> Who knows what might happen? There's many, a,
1: many a slip betwixt cup and lip. So, and the technical difficulties could still ensue. That's true. Um, that rhymed. <laughs> I'd almost say
0: that could be a show title but that's a pretty weak show title I guess. We can um, do better. We can certainly do better because we have some fun things to talk about. Well, fun's the wrong word. We have uh what it, as as is typical we have plenty of disturbing things to talk about, but it is fun to wrestle with them and to kick the tires on them. We're going to talk about uh you, Steve, you know, I started to say it's not every day that you get a seditious conspiracy conviction because it's but not the, every day. It's like these, every two months. Right,
1: but these days it's like every other week. <laughs>
0: yeah, or at least every other month we get them. Yeah. So we have more seditious conspiracy convictions arising out of the January 6th siege of the cap, of the Capitol and Congress. So we'll talk about what was going on there. We have uh, a fascinating New York state criminal law set of events that was highlighted in the Sunday edition of the Times with the story about Abdullah El Faisal, who's the defendant in that case. It is a material support case under New York state law. And as I understand it, this may be the first use of the post 9/11 enactment of state-level versions, mm. in a uh, state-level version of that familiar federal offense in the New York system, and it—it's a case that actually presents at least two or three issues that we got to kick around. So, uh, have we ever done a state prosecution on this show before? I mean, not for material support. Yeah, no. It's, this is going to be interesting. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we have Supreme Court developments, including some stuff. Well, do we call it a development? It's sort of a development. It's it's an inaction, but it matters to one of your cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got I would, I would yeah, call it a development. It's a development. Yeah. It's an official development. And we have the stunning arrest. Uh, speaking of New York, we have the stunning arrest of the former special agent in charge of the counterintelligence division. In New York, FBI did field not office see that York. come in. No, definitely did not. For uh, basically doing things on behalf of a Russian oligarch, um, mostly after he left FBI. But there's some there's some uh, allegations in the indictment that uh, include some. Uh, contact and engagement uh, in 2018 before he retired Bobby the fraud is coming from inside the building it is really interesting and and, and sad and it's uh, of course that's sort of generally true about the cases we talk about true uh, what are we going to do for frivolity <sighs> I mean, we could
1: talk about football, but that would just be sad. <laughs> Speaking of sad, the New York Giants. Wah, wah. Hey, at least they made it that far. They made it just as far as the Cowboys. That's
0: true. That's true. I will dine out on that. Uh, all, all I season. can't say either one, so we can engage in some uh, some mutual commiseration and uh, reflecting on the things that are bad and get probably getting worse about both teams. Actually, let me ask you now, are the Giants on an upward trend, or was this like a high watermark? Because I think the Cowboys may have just hit their high water mark for reasons I'll explain. I think
1: that depends on whether this is, which is the real Daniel Jones, right? The mm-hmm. one who had a career game against the yeah. Vikings, or the one who sort of had a mediocre, a better, but still not yeah. like elite season. Yeah, yeah. Um well, we'll so we'll have some NFL sports ball and I guess, uh, anything if we must. else. No, we must. We totally must. Um, did you see that there's a new um uh, at Sundance, uh, a new documentary about the Indigo Girls premiered? <laughs> I am very Are excited. you like an investor in that project? I feel like you would be. <laughs> I would have been if I had had the option, but no one asked
0: me. No, I had no idea, but that's pretty awesome. I May, also have no money, but Wait, uh, I haven't looked, but I think the uh, the Oscars uh dropped their nomination so maybe when we get to the end of the show, we can we can talk about all these movies that you and I have not, not seen, seen and we can offer our opinions on them
1: it's only life after all that's the no girls documentary oh that's so good i can hear it all right um <laughs> well let's jump right in so
0: we've got this seditious conspiracy conviction and, and um as i said it arises out of the january 6 events this is a like the prior seditious conspiracy from november last year this involves people associated with the oath keepers organization um so what you've got is a jury, con- uh, a jury conviction in federal court just yesterday of four men on a, on a group of charges. The charges were seditious conspiracy under 18 U.S. Code, Section 2384, and then if I, let's see here, I wrote this down, uh, conspiracy to prevent members of Congress from discharging their official duties, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, that is the counting of the Electoral College votes, and then actually obstructing official proceeding. <laughs> so a pairing there. Um, Steve, we have, the fine I, I think after January 6th, I think we immediately framed the key charging question as, would people be charged with seditious conspiracy? There would obviously be a, a host of less dramatic felony charges for a lot of people, as there have been. Um, but I, th- I believe that you and I went on record saying that the measure of the seriousness of the Justice Department's response is, would they bring seditious conspiracy charges, and could they make them stick? And now they certainly have. They've been and- it. Yeah, They it. They have. they have. Sorry, that was a bad Brennan on reference. <laughs> Well, um, I know we did it before back then, but it's worth going through it again now because seditious conspiracy, what are the elements? It's somewhat straightforward to say it. Some of the applications, of course, could be really tricky but there are a bunch of different ways in which, and so conspiracy—you've got—is an, an agreement to do an illegal thing. What makes it a seditious conspiracy? This is a 18 USC section 2384. If you're scoring at home, the greatest hits—it's um, not formally broken up into a bunch of different separate offenses, but it, but it, functionally it is. So uh, I'll call these A through E. Uh, option A: Your conspiracy was to overthrow, put down, or destroy by force the American government. Um, that's one possibility. B, your conspiracy was to levy war against the United States. Um, option C, your conspiracy was to oppose by force the authority of the United States. Option D, uh, your conspiracy was to use force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the United States, like those associated with the joint session. There you go. And the Electoral
1: Count Act of 1887.
0: The, and, and so, and pause there. There's one more to mention, but just note... That's the lower hanging fruit. Could you make arguments about some of the other ones? Sure, Um, but it's it's like pretty straightforward on option D, and it's just option D. E
1: E also has something going for it. Right. So
0: so let me state E. Your conspiracy was to use force to seize. Take or possess property of the United States. You know, Con- like contrary to the authority, there. Contra- contrary to the authority thereof. Indeed, um, so no adverse possession where you're <laughs> tolerated. Uh, open and notorious. Open and notorious. The siege and, and insurrection was certainly open and notorious, but it was definitely contrary to the authority of the United States, and it involved seizing and trying to possess real estate yeah. in the form of the capital there. Um, so D is the uh, sort of easiest layup. Um, here and and I think the important thing to emphasize with the DNA is they don't require you to get into these questions of what counts as right. actually trying to overthrow the right. government or levying war, Levy war. Yep. right? Yep. Yeah, and I think that's often misunderstood. People seize on uh, this actually on NPR this morning, I believe uh, the story on this. I was so curious when when they started talking about what a seditious conspiracy was, and I thought, oh, are they going to kind of say the same things? We were just talking about it. like no, they just said like it, you know, it's a conspiracy to levy war against the United States and overthrow the government, and it's like, well, yes, but it's also more expansive and easier to <laughs> prove <laughs> things than that that are more directly applicable. So what you're saying here. is National Security Law Podcast greater than NPR? Of course, that's what okay. I'm saying for okay. sure, okay. absolutely. Well, you know, like as many people have observed, this show is a little bit like car talk, but just with the <laughs> different topics, so it's but with with it's the, not about cars, <laughs> with the same like forced laughter and. Uh, easy, <laughs> 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 My brother. Um, anyways, um, I'm not saying you can't make those other parts of seditious conspiracy work here. And in fact, I don't actually know it's possible that the prosecutors in this case uh, led with and, and built the charge around some of those. Right. I'm only making the point it's even easier to make these, these Agree. other dimensions stick. Agree. Um, the other charge is about obstructing proceedings. I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, the claim here, it, it, as in the other case, is that uh, the Oath Keepers organizationally, through these leaders and some of the members, uh, came up with a plan to bring weapons, loads of tactical gear. Um, uh, you know, they I think they had knives with them. The, these particular defendants were charged with having knives, tactical gear, tactical radios, training up, and then recruiting and, and preparing, and then executing a plan to go in there in military formation and, um, and at, at you know at a bare minimum, it's enough just to show that the plan was to get in there and prevent the electoral count from happening, and to get in and hold territory in that building. That's what the jury found beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, so another win for the
1: Justice Department. Um, can, can I say, I mean, yeah, it, it, you you say another win for the. I mean, yes, it is. I, I think it's. I mean, these are hard cases. Like this, you know, this is not like a, sort of a strict liability offense, right? This is not. I mean. There's not a lot of precedent here. And so I think it's worth stressing, like, DOJ has put a ton of work into these cases, and it has gotten results. The uh, There was another case, actually, at the same time. I wasn't going to mention this, but
0: many people will remember there was this one joker who got into the speaker's office and, you know, was smiling, photographed, putting his boots up or his feet up on Speaker Pelosi's desk and, you know, holding her papers and so forth. Um, that guy also was, you know, surprise, surprise. That guy also <laughs> was convicted this week, um, not on seditious conspiracy charges, um, on lesser charges. Oh, by the way, the seditious conspiracy charge carries a twenty-year maximum sentence. So do each of those other ones, right. actually. So and they four, could run. They could run. They can stack them. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think they probably
1: will. Yeah. Um, any prediction on a? I mean, the sentencing. So. Those there are folks who have watched the sentencing patterns in these cases far closer than I, and many of them have been for lesser offenses. But you know, the the judges have generally been not sort of going right to where the government wants to go, but yeah. not sort of erring on the side of the defendants either. Yeah.
0: So so being the the critical question here is: Will they stack or run the sentences <laughs> right. currently? Uh, you you can imagine that it's going to be something in the you know, in the teens, if not the full 20. Yeah. But will they stack it and give these people what amounts to a life sentence in that I'd, case? I'd be surprised. I suspect not, yeah. yeah. But we'll see. Um, do any comments, Steve, on whether and how these... There, there's a version of events or there's a version of the world in which the, the very existence of a seditious conspiracy charge, and let alone a conviction, is headline news and mm-hmm. everybody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I got to say... I don't think everybody's talking about this. Nope. Yeah, sure, there's a story on NPR, but there are a lot of stories No, no, NPR. no, no. I, I don't
1: think, I, I think um, I think. there's a lot of uh, really unfortunate January 6th fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, I, since I spend a little more time being subjected to right-wing Twitter than you do, right, um, there's still a meme out there that these are all political prisoners who are being held without charges, right, when, you know... Interesting, you know, you raise the
0: possibility, might, might someone who gets a long, seditious conspiracy...
1: Sentence be uh, pardoned later on, or sentence commuted sure. later on. I mean, I think that's depending on who the president is in twenty twenty five. I can, I can imagine a candidate from Mar-a-Lago who might <laughs> who
0: might make it a campaign promise to do it.
1: Yes. Um,
0: yes, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is some fatigue and just a sort of a sense of like, no, I've heard this whole story. It's right. been in the news a ton. I know that whole story, and so the the
1: courtroom developments really aren't landing with any particular. Uh, which, is, which is too bad because, I mean, you know, if there's – for all the sort of whining and complaining about how, you know, the there wasn't strong Republican involvement in the January 6th Committee, how it was one-sided, right? Well, here you had, you know, defendants convicted by juries of their peers and, you know, held uh, – where the prosecutors were held to the highest standard under the law and still succeeded. Right. Like beyond, that, a reasonable, means, right. beyond a reasonable doubt. I, w- I will note, and to
0: your point about uh, the politicization of things – the, the separate defendant that I mentioned, who uh, was basically famous or infamous for that photograph on, in Pelosi's office, um, I believe had tried to get yes. the uh, – Had jury argued then. that – change of venue. Yeah, argued that he can't get a fair trial yes. be on the ground that, that D.C., where the jury was drawn from, is overwhelmingly Democratic. Yes. And, and you know, of course that gets rejected. The the, the system can't work. Can you imagine? Um, if no. every trial that's in a in any region look most urban Austin, areas right? Well most almost every almost yeah. every almost major every, urban area yeah, is very democratic. blue. Right? And almost all rural areas tend you know, they're
1: not all, but they right. tend to be But uh, also but Republican. in DC but also I would say in DC especially, like, you know, this is not a case – there are cases where the government is allowed to pick D.C. as a forum, right? So yeah. the, the like, extraterritorial <laughs> criminal venue statute, right, allows the government yeah. to try cases you, in D.C. So you're saying
0: if you don't want to face charges in front of a don't jury – Don't crime trial, there. Don't, don't, don't lay siege to the capital. Go out into the – find a federal facility in a, a more uh, GOP-friendly area?
1: Seriously. Have, don't crime there. I mean, like, like the <laughs> excellent verb verbiage. I mean, the chutzpah of like you know, I went to Washington to commit crimes, and I, ref- and, I and, and all I, I got was this unbalanced jury. <laughs> there you go. There's <laughs> a t-shirt. If we could make that into a show title, <laughs> that's a long show title. I
0: went to Washington to crime there, and all I got was an, an impartial, not a partial jury, and all, and all I got was a biased jury. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> How about just I went to Washington to crime there. Uh, that, that you know, the people will see that tell and be like, "That could be about a lot of things." <laughs> lot of things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, George Santos, everybody. George Wait, Santos. we're talking about the Biden, the Biden documents again? Oh, <laughs> oh man, they found even more. Yeah, this, or the or the Supreme Court leak investigation. I mean, we could go. This this that's could be a, a, a beautifully open ended. I, I guess we, we should do a
0: quick note since we talked last week. Uh, it's nice to be able to say that again. <laughs> last week we talked about guys. Uh, Bobby's very happy that we're recording. I really? Well, remember, so. I, I have. A, I well, we've got a gentleman's wager on this. This um, is what, two in 2023? No, I guess it's three. Oh, it's three? Yeah, beware. Oh, man. <laughs> you're going to start, start sandbagging this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I got laryngitis. I'm sick. Uh, um, yeah, so they did a, they went back to the president's home and did a search. This time, it's interesting, they, they made a point of saying this time FBI agents were were in there, uh, I think addressing the, the perceived imbalance of you know, the the, the lawyers uh, turning over stuff versus FBI going into the uh, official's home. Anyways, they found some more documents, classified marking, So that problem continues to fester. Um, see last week for our discussion of thing one and thing two and thing three, those things being the different distinct problems, it, one of which is in common between the Biden and uh, Trump cases, that is documents that shouldn't be there being in uh, former officials' possessions. Uh, and then some are not. In common, that is the ones that have to do with whether or not once this comes out, the president uh, agrees that these documents actually do need to be turned back over, or instead argues that they, they own them personally and resist as much as they can giving them back. Um, so there you go. See you last week for more on that. Should we pivot? you want to talk real quick about Supreme Court and what's going on there? You had something impacting one of your cases.
1: Yeah. And um, maybe we'll talk a bit about the leak investigation report that we that we thought might be coming last week. Oh, yeah? <laughs> like right after we posted the show, they're like, okay. well, we didn't find anything. Yeah. And, and I think that was a Marshall's report. So right? there were three documents. There was a two-page statement of the court, which I assume is the justices, um, basically summarizing the report. There's a one-page letter from Michael Chertoff saying, I looked at the Marshall's investigation, and I sign off on it. I already didn't realize Chertoff Group was who they retained, and uh, so, so, is so, that our, so is that the so, answer to our question from no, last week? right? So, no. So, it's, so, so, the Chertoff Group did not do the investigation. They basically brought in the Chertoff Group to audit the investigation. And so Chertoff wrote this letter that's like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm cool with what the Marshall did. And then there's this 20-page report from Gail Curley, the 11th marshal of the Supreme Court. By the way, the trivia on this week's One First is about the history of the marshal of the Supreme Court. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. It actually only dates to 1867. Before then, it was the D.C. U.S. marshal.
0: It's on Substack, folks. True. Steve Vladek,
1: One First. Go find it. Go subscribe. Man, I, I really need to match that.
0: that subscription button. Seriously.
1: Um, anyway, but so the report, yes, the report said we tried really hard, but we didn't find anything. I mean, it's a little more. It's yeah. a little more nuanced than that. Would you?
0: Are you, I mean, do you look at that and think,
1: yeah, it's kind of like that's the institutionally safe move is to not look too hard. So yes, I mean, so I, this is this is actually the subject of this week's one first. So if folks are interested in more, I would encourage you to check it out. Um, but I, I think I think a couple different things are true. One, I think it was probably not in the institution's interest to get all the way to the bottom of this. Um, that is reflected not just in how the investigation was conducted, but by whom. Um, right. If you really want to get to the bottom of this, you call the FBI. Right. Because the marshal of the Supreme Court, even though she oversees the Supreme Court police, she has no subpoena power. Um, yep. Right. She has no coercive. She has employment leverage. Right. Yeah. Where, over current employees. But she has no means of coercing compliance with document requests. Right. Anything like that. So they had like voluntarily people turned over some of their call logs, but like that they checked the, the memory logs of all the printers. Like I mean, So this is sort of a do. Goldilocks investigation where it's not too
0: aggressive because it'd be it'd be perhaps painful to yeah. actually get to the bottom mm-hmm. of this. But at the same
1: time you 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 gotta do something because right. it wasn't nothing. And so right. you know, so this is but and get. then but apparently the real sort of to upta- the real upshot of the investigation is a whole bunch of recommendations for how the court should change its document security measures going forward, um, none of which are in the report, there's an Annex A that was not released Mm, to the public. Um, But it's gonna probably have a big effect on the court's internal procedures. Um, The other thing that I think got a lot of, I think, notice is the report itself is silent as to whether she actually talked to the justices themselves. Mm. Um, This actually, the backlash to that silence forced the court to put out a separate statement from Marshall Curley on Friday. Saying that she had in fact spoken to the justices, She's not under oath. Well, but it was, it was a very. Yeah, sort did of, she say, "I asked them"? Did you? No. Did she said. She said. She said they had questions for me, and they answered mine, right <laughs> so without just, saying what the question. How were. are you? Okay, right. <laughs> did you have a nice br- uh, 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 suburb? Um, and she said, "I therefore decided that I didn't need them to sign sworn affidavits." Yeah. Now, mind you, the marshal works for the justices, like this is like the commissioner of the NFL, right? He works for the owners. Right, Like, if you wanted an investigation that could potentially have uncovered malfeasance by a justice, you don't have the marshal do it. Right, right, right. So, I, you know, the harder question, and the one I tried to spend some time thinking about on the on the newsletter this week, is whether in the long-term interest of the Supreme Court, this was actually the best possible, the, the least worst alternative yeah. to all the others. Yeah, yeah. And I it's, mean, and it's it,
0: not obvious to me that the answer is no. It's, it, you know, so somebody somebody and some bodies yeah. know what actually happened. And if you have that information, then you can make a good judgment right. on, you know, how much potential institutional damage
1: is there yeah. to chase this all the way through, sure. as to who knew and when they knew it. But the, I mean, but the report doesn't even just claim the possibility that it was negligence. Yeah. That, like, someone left a copy on the Metro. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, I don't think that's what happened, but, like, you know. Hey, look, if if hackers can prevent the sale of
0: Taylor Swift tickets, Indeed. who knows who knows what those people can Although do? Although the
1: report claims that they were that they've been... That they can't conclusively rule out hacking, but there's no evidence. Of yeah, it. yeah, 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 no, um, that's right. So, so that was that. That was Thursday and Friday. Um, and then yesterday, Monday, uh, we got the very first Supreme Court opinion of the year. They finally decided. Okay, we're really gonna rule in these cases. Uh, what? What well, they ruled on one case. Yeah. And they oh, did. So, 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 you know, like you guys say
0: like we're taking too long. Here, pick one, put it out there. <laughs> Basically, um, and they digged another
1: one. Right? Like it's like oh, by the way, here's a second ruling. Oh wait, we're not ruling dig means dismissed as improvidently granted right in other words we took the case to decide something and then realized that whoops whoopsies whoopsies should dig should be whoopsies dig should be whoopsies anyway but so uh, closer to closer to mm-hmm. to home um, the most important thing for my project that the court did yesterday is nothing um, so we've talked before about the my pending cert petition on behalf of Steve Donziger um, the sort of the environmental crusading lawyer, who was uh, convicted of criminal contempt of court um, in Manhattan uh, by private special prosecutors who were appointed by the district court after the DOJ declined to prosecute him for criminal contempt. And we have a series of constitutional challenges to whether, like, you can do that kind of thing. Um, So the case was uh, discussed at conference for the first time on Friday, and it was not in yesterday's order list. Aha, uh-huh. and so last week when we talked about yes. this, we talked about like how, how do you read tea leaves yep.
0: when something like this happens yes. once. Now it's happened.
1: Well, so so now, so now last week it was a reschedule. It was a reschedule, now and it's a then re-list. it was
0: omitted this time. Right, so now it's a relist. And that
1: means one of two things is likely. What yes. are those two things? So the two most likely, it's not 100%, but I would say there's a 95% chance that one of two things is happening. Yeah. Someone is writing an opinion, respecting a denial of certiorari, either a dissent or a statement, right. right? Basically saying, we're not granting cert, but. Yeah, but we should. Or, 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 or we should wary. But, but bad things happened here. So that'd be bad for you. Yes. Although better than just a straight denial with nothing. Yeah. Or they're granting. So you're getting a consolation prize, or they're granting, yes. most likely. Yes. And I mean, ever since 2013. So the court, this is not how the court used to operate. The court used to. Um, grant cases straight out of the first conference at which they were considered. Ever since 2013 when there were a series of cases that the court granted only to have them blow up for procedural problems, for like things the clerks didn't do a good job of catching. Ever since then the court has done this whole re-list then grant thing where Cases that get granted absent unusual circumstances, like emergency applications, get relisted at
0: least once. Is that to create time for the clerks to go do a final scrub to yeah. make sure we're not going to have egg on our face so for taking no the one case?
1: Has, no one has publicly confirmed that, but yeah. that is the, the all but sort of confirmed assumption. Yeah. Like, like we, want to, we, have, we have tentatively voted to grant you know, Chesney versus Vladek. <laughs> you know, go find out. Go make sure there are absolutely no plot holes. The, uh, we'll have to ask our listeners to weigh in on what is the most likely
0: uh, cause of action in <laughs> Chesney versus plotting. Uh, hmm. Hmm. I, said, mm. yeah, yeah, I wish y'all could see us. We're both eyes. <laughs> both of us are separately looking at different parts of the <sighs> ceiling with
1: smiles as we ponder how we can sue each other. <laughs> hey, we didn't say it was Bobby Chesney. Or it could be, you know. Well, it's true. Kenny Chesney. Um, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, like you know, your daughters are in the are reaching the driving age. <laughs>
0: yeah, beware in the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, pretty soon there'll be all kinds of
0: there'll be all kinds of Chesney and Vladek girls driving our neighborhood. Oh God! Speaking <laughs> of which, Sydney got glasses yesterday. I saw that. Yeah, I saw you guys had a post on that. They were super cute. They're so cute. I love like, that. Like kid glasses, man. Oh, uh, they're the best. I-, I thought they were terrible when I had them. What's well, funny because it, it you're, you see your kid, it's. It's like the reverse of it's like when braces come off and the kid just instantly in one day looks older. I think putting the, the glasses on your kid suddenly yeah. like they just look a little more grown right. up. Yeah, yeah, a little right. professional. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, it's
1: like, hey, hello, I'm at work today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right. Any other Supreme Court action to note? Uh, no. Action? I mean, I think now we're now we enter the court's so called midwinter recess where the justices don't meet again until February 17th. So, barring various emergency applications. It's probably going to be a a, a quiet time for, for the Supreme Court. Uh, with one opinion on the books. Uh, good job. That's although solid. although this also gives us a chance um, to get ready. So I, I lost track. Someone has been tracking the number of amicus briefs that were filed in the Section 230 cases oh. <laughs> that we talked about last week. Oh, yeah. So apparently in... Gonzalez, which is the straight two hundred and thirty case, versus uh-huh. versus Tomino, which is the ATA case. Yeah, yeah. There are north of like fifty amicus briefs, um, and there's like the total briefing so far is over five hundred thousand words. So, you,
0: it's so interesting the the whole industry. Of the amicus briefs, which has a really interesting legal education connection because, yes. of course, some amount of that volume is made possible by the proliferation of Supreme Court, uh, clinics. Yeah, Supreme Court clinics. And, yep. you know, we've got an amazing one here. We love the University of Texas. Uh, Supreme Court Clinic, Steve.
1: Do do we have <laughs> do our students have a piece of this? Do you I don't think? think we're in this case. I know no. we filed. We I, I shouldn't say we since I'm not in the clinic. Yeah, it's um, a collective know, uh, educational. I, right, we. I know the clinic has filed a couple of amicus briefs this term. Um, I did a petition together with them in the fall that should have been granted but it was denied. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a it's a great opportunity. You know the the proliferation of Supreme Court clinics is interesting because it. Creates interesting sort of educational opportunities. It also creates interesting pedagogical questions. Like, as a clinic, what is your goal? Um, yeah. Especially when you have clients. Yeah, is
0: it just advocacy? Right. You guys, what what do you guys think? Uh, by the way, for the for the the listeners who are like, well, okay, guys, we don't know what this is. What's an amicus brief? Um, this is a brief filed as amicus, so you're a friend of the court, amicus yes.
1: curiae. So you're not a party, but you're sort of you're there to say we have something relevant and yeah. interesting to I add am, to this. I'm case. an outsider. Right. Of uh, a disinterested party. Of course, you're interested in the issues. <laughs> the <laughs> um, first thing on the brief is interest of a. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm not.
0: I'm. I'm. I'm separate legally right, you're not from the parties. Interested. Yes. And uh, and I'm weighing in. And the, the idea is like this might bring fresh perspectives that are useful to the judges right. and justices. Maybe technical expertise. Briefs. Right. If, yep. it's
1: a, if it's a like so in in Gonzalez versus Google, which is the two thirty case, mm-hmm. right? There are a bunch of briefs about sort of how algorithms actually work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's technical expertise. Um, some amicus briefs serve a signaling function, like where you know the arguments we're making aren't that important. But look who
0: we are. Yeah. There's definitely. So there's a whole bunch of like kind of arguments from authority yes. in formal logic terms yes. or yes. rhetoric terms that are just like here's the brief on behalf of. Every con law professor in the following jurisdiction. Right. And, of course, that leads to a, a sense of maybe sometimes these things are signed by people that aren't that engaged yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. The good ones are coming from peculiar perspectives. Right. That Strange bedfellow briefs. Yeah. Now, how about this? Um, most impactful amicus brief, of, amicus brief of all time. Of all I, time. Because I have a candidate. I could so be wrong, it, but my first thought is in Grutter, the, yes, the military. The, the military. military brief. So the brief was it military and corporate leaders.
1: So I, I don't. I don't know if that was one brief or two briefs. So but, there was there was a brief. The, so yeah. 2003. Yes. The University of Michigan is defending the affirmative action policy for its law school. Yeah, right? for admissions. For admissions. And, and you get an amicus brief that
0: whether it was one or two, you have both um, – you have sort of uh, – Corporate and military leaders. Yes, yeah, saying like in our organizations, including the U.S. military, this is why uh, diversity of, of background and, and race, et cetera, yeah. is really important.
1: And uh, that, I think, was impactful. I mean, uh, it's, it's cited by – you know Justice O'Connor cites it a lot in her majority opinion. Yeah. So it, yeah. I, I want to say that there's a brief that this term that might compete with it. So in Moore versus Harper, this is the Independent State Legislature Doctrine case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is an amicus brief signed by the chief justices of every state.
0: That is super interesting,
1: right? Really, every single. who organized that? Because that's impressive. So I think it was the National Center for State Courts. I think. I guess that makes sense, right? Um, You're like, why? It's the body that connects all those people. <laughs> but yes. like, but I mean, we're talking about like some elected, some appointed, yeah, and some from deep red yeah, states, yeah, some yeah. from deep blue states. Yeah, yeah. like that. You know, hard to think of, and, and they're judges. Like you know, the the yeah. fellow chief justices. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hard to think of that that brief not going to have some. That's some interesting. Force. All right. I hope listeners have their own candidates. Uh, tweet versus about this. versus the brief of Stephen I. Vladek. That brief never <laughs> happened. That, that somewhere. somewhere. You're in the ranking somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I mean, listen, I, my, so my, when I, I do a lot of Amicus briefs. F- less, fewer. Fewer now than like 10, 15 years ago, because I have more party work than I did 15, yeah. 10, 15. By like, my, my party
0: work, he means like party city. Indeed. Yeah. Yes,
1: that's about my other job. Oh, you, oh, you meant representing parties. Ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, we just talked about Donziger. Uh, <laughs> so so I, my goal, my goal is just to get the brief read. Right, and so if I get if I if I if there's any evidence that the brief got read by the justices, I consider it a win. So yeah. there's a case the court heard this term called US versus Texas, where we wrote an amicus brief about Texas's judge shopping pattern. And Justice Kagan didn't invoke the brief in the argument, but there was a question she put to the Texas SG. That was based on something she could have only gotten from our brief. That's right? interesting. So you knew you had an so I'm, I, No one else knows that, right? No one sees that and says, oh, good job.
0: Lon. Right, but yeah, no, but you know you made a difference. Yeah. Um, by the way, I'm sort of fixated on this idea that you also are a party planner, and that <laughs> I like this idea that listeners, you can maybe you could hire
1: Steve. <laughs> and it's like, is it is it for a kid's birthday party? Is it your fiftieth birthday? We just did we just did a kid's birthday party. I'm done. So, no, he's experienced. Sign Matt, him Matt, up. Matt, Maddie, we did Maddie's party on Sunday. What was, was there a theme? Uh, it was um, there was a little bit of a cat theme, and it was uh, like a gymnastics party. Oh, that's great. So I love we, it. We did a Kim's gym, but. um so, Karen and I actually used to joke before we had kids. We used to joke that if we ever went into business together, it would be like a travel agency slash family law slash event planning. Like These a one-stop. The family shop. law dimension that's not unrelated to the travel. Right, like and... a one-stop shop. Like if you want to have a wedding, we'll book the travel. We'll you know we'll 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 create the we'll we'll write the prenuptials. <laughs> we'll we'll play we'll we'll get we'll hire the band. I was sure what you meant was families that travel might need family law. Well, just also that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well,
0: uh, okay. Should we pivot over? Sorry, that was a no, alarm. no. That was awesome. Um, let's go to the state of New York, where the people of the state of New York in in your home are uh, prosecuting Abdullah Al Faisal, who is a written an interesting story, and it's complicated. But the the TLDR is that he's born in Jamaica. Uh, he's lived in lots of places around the world, including a substantial stint and controversial stint in the UK. Um, it seems perfectly clear, and there's ample evidence in his own words spoken and written, that uh, not unlike Anwar uh, al-Awlaki, famously associated with uh, uh, encouraging people to participate in violent jihad, and in al-Awlaki's case, uh, expressly connected to AQAP, um, similar to al-Awlaki, al-Faisal was a prominent English-language proponent of violent jihad. I don't think anyone's claiming that El Faisal, like al alaki had uh, a membership role in, in his case, it would be most recently the Islamic State, where his rhetoric was encouraging people uh, to do things. But that doesn't mean he wasn't taking more concrete actions, and that that brings us to the story here. So he'd been in jail in the UK uh, for basically uh, uh, encouraging people to commit murder, soliciting um, you know, violence in his sermons. He eventually was, uh, he concluded that sentence, was deported, was bounced around various places, finally settling back in Jamaica and began putting out things on the internet, uh, encouraging people to engage in violent jihad, in this case, at this point in time, uh, in support of the Islamic State. And at some point, NYPD, which, as we've talked about on this show before, maintains uh, what what is arguably the world's largest municipal policing organization, intelligence operation, um, has a really uh, significant and capable operation. Uh, they, they put together a, a sting operation, reaching out to him with um, officers acting undercover, posing as... Initially, posing as a woman who's uh, interested in supporting the Islamic State, wants to get there to go there, maybe to find somebody to marry, and and El Faisal is encouraging this, facilitating this. There's all sorts of stuff that happens, and all sorts of, as you might imagine, really hateful rhetoric about the the glories of the Islamic State and the the need to kill the infidel, et cetera. But the important part is the thing he was doing in these conversations that he thought was with a person who really wanted to do these things um, was to try to facilitate um, getting that person over there and then to marry. The, as near as I can tell from reading the description of the charges, it doesn't sound like anything operational was being planned as such. So it was it was a form of support that related to the Islamic State, but this brings us to the question of whether the things that he is alleged to have done, um, did they actually map onto the New York State statute? Well, that's where it gets really interesting. After 9 11, New York State, like a lot of states, quickly adopted either direct copies or close variants of, of the major federal counterterrorism charges. Um, the most flashy of which we've come to know over the past 20 years is the, the two material support statutes. Uh, Longtime listeners will remember we talk about. (laughs) Longtime listeners. The 1994 Federal Material Support Statute 2339A and the 1996 one
1: 2339B. Now, now, if, yeah. you're, if you're thinking about this as 2339 parentheses A, oh, you'd be you'd really mistaken. Yes, it's 2339 capital A and 2339 capital B because we want to make this as confusing as possible. That's right. So here's here's some some legal in the weeds. When it's a
0: parentheses and a letter, that connotes a subsection of that numerical statute. When it's a capital letter stuck onto the number, that means that they didn't want to renumber the U.S. Code, so they but they did want to slot something in between two numbers. Right. And they didn't want to do halvesies. They don't do decimal
1: points, so they stick in a letter. So the, the criminal code's bad enough. The like the Medicaid statute mm. has like 42 USC 1396 aa dash two subsection ZZ. It's, it's yeah, it's the whole thing. All right. So so there are two separate statutes. Although, by the way, do you know that the the Solicitor General's office has mm. a, has has invented has coined a term for the little Roman numerals that go in the sort of the second level sub, subsection headings? Little Romans. What are they? Romanettes. Oh Ro- yeah, yeah, that's a good word. I, I like
0: Little Romans. It kind of makes me think about- Little na- Romans. <laughs> little Romans makes me think about Night at the Museum. Little Roman and, 2.
1: You know, the, the little the little guys. So like Romanette 2 is like I-I. Yeah, yeah. That's, okay. Romanette 2.
0: I like it. Oh, well, should we should we put the uh, uh, episode 231 in, little, in Romanettes?
1: <laughs> that might episode, be kind of long. Episode, what? C C X X X I. yeah. <laughs> oh, man,
0: we're such geeks. All right. Uh, speaking of geeking Ooh. out, let's geek out with the details of the statue. Sorry. So the federal the federal statutes that are predicates, the older one is like an aiding and abetting uh, statute. It requires that you provide – so material supports defined super broadly to mean all sorts of things you might give to someone or an organization in aid of it. And we'll get to the definitions in a minute. But in aid of what and with what intent? The original 2339A 1994 federal statute, the idea was – you know or intend that the aid you're giving will be used by the recipient. And then there's a laundry list of of mostly violent crimes. Um, So that's sort of material support to a terrorist act. The somewhat more famous and much more often charged 1996 statute, because it's broader, uh, is material support to an organization. And the idea there is, as long as you knew, you knew or should have known the recipient organization, who it was, and you knew or should have known that that organization engages in the sort of conduct that could make it a designated foreign terrorist organization, then it doesn't matter whether you had good intentions for what they'd do with your aid. So if you gave money hoping they'd buy blankets, it doesn't matter. It's forbidden. The 96 statute, in short, is like an embargo of terrorist organizations. Now, what which one of these did New York State copy? Well, it looks to me like uh, the original one, the aiding and abetting type statute. So here is New York Penal Code section 490.10, soliciting or providing support for an act of terrorism in the second degree. There's also first degree for more valuable forms of support. But the core definition is that it's a felony for a person to commit soliciting or providing support for an act of terrorism when with intent that the material support or resources will be used in whole or in part to plan, prepare, carry out, or aid either an act of terrorism or concealing or escape from an act of terrorism. And, And if you raise, solicit, collect, or provide material support or resources to do that. But notice that there's a tight fit there, that this is connected to aiding an act. An offense, And there's, there's some complexity to the definition of what an act of terrorism is and what sorts of offenses count, but it looks to me a lot like 2339A. Now, the reason this matters is if what the charge was was a federal charge under 2339B, the embargo type statute, and the claim was that al-Faisal had provided material support in the form of recruiting personnel for the Islamic State, well, that charge would probably stick. But the feds aren't the charging entity here. And it doesn't look like New York even has a parallel statute to that embargo statute. What they've got is the aiding and abetting act active terrorism type offense. And it's the, it's the state that's charging. So they went with the one they had. Steve, I mean, we'll see what comes out at trial, of course. And maybe they can actually tie it in. But if it's true that what they're going to be able to prove is that he was trying very hard to support the Islamic State by recruiting a person he believed would be a wife for an Islamic State member, I don't see how that gets them to the required act right. that would be aided. Right. It seems to me like they have a problem here. Um, that's what trials are for. Yeah, you know, I guess we'll, we'll see if they actually have it. You know, it, it could be somebody working on this case is like, you idiot. You don't know what we're pr- planning to mm-hmm. present. But there's been a lot of reporting on this, and, yes. and they, they really emphasize with lots of quotes, these are the types of exchanges that were taking place. Is this the Manhattan DA? Uh, yeah, so the case was originally brought by Cyrus Vance Jr. Oh. Um and, and obviously a successor now carrying this forward. So it's
1: I wonder I wonder how many people in the in the New York County DA's office listen to this podcast. If you're listening, <laughs> let us know. Okay, like so my, my favorite thing, if you if you go to a trial court in uh, in Manhattan, right? Uh uh city of New York, county of New York, state of New York. <laughs> That's a lot of York. Um, um you, know that you, you, said you know that you said you know that so the boroughs, right, are all their own counties too, okay. as you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: I haven't been a former uh Manhattan Indeed. resident. New York County. New York County. I would, hey uh, my first act my active license days New York lawyer I'm a retired New York lawyer Did you know that
1: that's the best way to deal with <laughs> you it when like you... a day over Yeah
0: exactly Well don't, don't answer that question <laughs> um, The other issue Okay so there's an interesting question like Are they actually Are they actually even charging things that really fit here or Are they going right. to try to prove things that fit here Secondly there is this looming question of Why aren't the, Why didn't the feds take this They're, to We should underscore this I don't think there are other examples of material support type cases. Or anything like this fact pattern, where the Fed stayed out of it and the state proceeded. So that's kind of interesting. I don't think we haven't answered that, but it's something worth watching. And I mean, ponder. presumably this
1: was not like just sort of out of the blue. Like presumably there was some coordination here.
0: I guess there's a conversation. But we I don't I can't think of another example where you have someone who's linked to the Islamic State. And by the way, I should add, um, as the reporting emphasizes, this is not sort of a. a f- person nobody listened to. Some Some of the bigger names in the past 20 years of counterterrorism prosecutions um, involved people who, though not necessarily directly in contact with El Faisal, were people who were who were known to have been uh, interested in his sermons, who listened to him. He was influential, not unlike how al was influential. Now, a last question is something raised by the, the sub-headline in the text of the uh, article uh, in the New York Times on Sunday emphasizing that El Faisal was abroad always, never himself in New York, not never in the city. And there was a, a phrase, uh, I'll, I'll quote here from the piece, um, they est- the prosecutors established jurisdiction merely by communicating with Mr. Faisal from Manhattan. And the headline said the, the defendant was, quote, not in the city when the offense he is accused of took place. Um, Does any of that land with you as something that makes this case interesting, that he's outside of New York City in a material support case? I mean, that's a total non-story, right? I don't think so. If if he was being prosecuted for a violent crime that occurred in the city of New York and he could prove or it was conceded that he was not actually in New York when the violent crime was committed – Um, Even then, it still wouldn't be that odd if the nature of the charge was that he aided the crime, he he, uh, had conspired in the crime. It's just that someone else committed it. But this emphasis on physicality is a little weird, um, perhaps. Okay, um, anything else on El Saul, Steve? I don't think so. Well, then, let's just quickly note something else arising out in New York City, and this is uh, an interesting contrast. United States versus Charles McGonigal. He's actually got two indictments now, or two sets of charges, one in D.C., one in New York. Charles McGonigal was an FBI special agent and a prominent one. He was was in charge of the counterintelligence division in the New York field office and and worked on Russia-related counterintelligence matters. Now he's charged in D.C. with taking at least $225,000 in cash from a foreign agent. And in New York, he's charged now in the Southern District with a whole range of offenses. But um, there's some money laundering. But most importantly, for our purposes, Steve, we've got IEPA charges. It is a felony to violate sanctions promulgated by the president or the president's delegee, in this case, the Treasury Department through the Office of Foreign Assets Control. It's an automatic felony under uh, Title 50 to violate proper IEPA sanctions. And there's a whole slew of Ukraine-related sanctions. uh, Going back to 2014, uh, Executive Order 13660 through 13662 create a framework for uh, things that pertain to Russia's, uh, it, you know, it predates the current invasion of Ukraine, the original invasion of Ukraine and other deals like that. Um, and Oleg uh, Deripaska is, is a Russian aluminum magnate, or we must, we're, I think we're contractually required to say oligarch. Uh, he's an oligarch who is a specially designated national under the Russia-Ukraine sanctions regime. And it appears, according to the charges, that uh, some form of relationship began indirectly to emerge at the tail end of McGonagall's time as special agent in charge of the counterintelligence division. And then once he retired in 2018, he went to work. He and and another person uh, began doing work that had to do with uh, Deripaska's desire uh, to get uh, delisted from his sanctions. And there were certain other things going on. Anyways, it's just an inc- assuming that the allegations are true. Let's assume for the sake of argument that they are. Steve, this is its just stunning. How could anyone who had his position not understand how likely it was that he would be detected for doing these things and absolutely would be prosecuted? I don't know. Not to mention just... The sheer distastefulness and wrongfulness of it. Um, I mean, what do you make of
1: this, Hubris? I guess,
0: yeah, or just financial need and the exigency of money. Um, it's really sad. Really sad. Um, one hopes that that's the full extent of it, and that there's not not a larger espionage dimension. Um, Steve, does it strike you as interesting or unusual that there aren't espionage? This is basically all like sort of greed, money laundering surreptitious payments, sanctions violations. There's no espionage talk around
1: this. Does that surprise you? Or do you think that's coming or what? Uh, they might not. I mean, they might. it, it might really not have been, right? Um, I don't it know. Might, it might not, there might be no there, there there. There might be no there there. Or, yeah. or more is coming. Yeah. Stay tuned, I guess. Is I the, mean,
0: this has got to be just crushing, crushing for his former colleagues. Um, all right. I think that's it for our serious topics, unless you've got anything else. I don't think so. Can we talk about the uh, collapse of both the Giants and the Cowboys?
1: I mean, For, the, Gi- the Giants collapsed more. The Giants collapsed harder.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm trying to have a little bit of a, you know, misery loves company. But I... I mean, the Eagles
1: are... I think the problem is the Giants and the Cowboys both had
0: the same issue. They were playing really good teams. Yeah, the the Eagles mm-hmm. are seemingly unstoppable, although I really think... I mean, the 49ers defense. The 49ers are just... You know, the 49ers offense, I hate to say it, but Brock Purdy, my God. Yeah. I mean, he was always pretty effective as Iowa State's quarterback all those years. One of the announcers in the Cowboys and uh, 49ers game said at one point something I thought was really smart. um, He kind of paused and said, you know, for young players that are out there, and he was talking about college players. He said, look at what this guy's doing by staying all those years and getting all that – Prep and training at Iowa State. I mean, I don't know how many games Brock Purdy started, but I guess he was a four or what five year starter. Heck, with COVID, maybe as a six year starter. There's a
1: guy. There's a guy right now who's like about to do his eighth year of college football.
0: No, there are no rules in college anymore. Purdy was relatively conventional. He just he got there and started early, and he was just a rock for them, always starting, getting tons of experience. And the point was, here's a player who almost certainly. Had he ever come out early, would never have been anywhere in the NFL. He is the product of tons and tons of training and experience. And the announcer made the really good point that players need to embrace. It'd be nice if players more often, especially now that they can make money while in college, stick around a while, get more ready before you go to the next level. Um, The Cowboys were hosed because Tony Pollard got hurt early on and, uh, you know, Zeke Elliott used to be amazing, but he doesn't, he doesn't have the ability anymore due to accumulated injury. So uh, the Cowboys, I think, have a tough road in front of them because they're on a huge contract with Ezekiel Elliott. Not much to do about that. And Tony Pollard is now up. They'd have to pay big bucks to keep him. And they, Unless they get lucky with a, a, high, uh, a late pick in the first round and somehow land a running back to replace him, they're going to have to pay a ton of money, which is usually a bad idea in the NFL. Uh, Dalton Schultz is, along with C.D. Lamb, their only other sort of real offensive weapon in the skill positions, obviously besides quarterback, um, but he was a franchise player this past year. They, they probably could use the franchise tag in Tony Pollard and keep him, uh, but they'll lose Schultz. Um, C.D. Lamb, that game really proved, is, is a one-man show at receiver. So I think the Cowboys might have just hit their peak during this window. I think a lot of people in the Cowboys organization knew it. I think they're probably going to regress next year unless they get real lucky. Um, and so I don't know. What do you think about the Giants? Are they on the upswing or are they also peaking?
1: I don't know. I, I, I still don't know what Daniel Jones is.
0: Would you dra- If you could, would you draft a,
1: a top quarterback I, mean, hot, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to make this decision. Like, yeah, you know, I, I think Daniel Jones is going to be a perfectly serviceable NFL quarterback. I'm not yeah. sure he's ever going to be elite. He's, like, above average. Like, he's not yes. – he's no uh,
0: – you know, he's obviously no Mahomes or something like that. But he's definitely also way more than
1: just uh, – I mean, he cut his turnovers longer. way down this year. Yeah. If that's not an outlier, like, you know, he can be – I mean, like, I think of, like, I don't know um, – like a Ryan Tannehill, right? Like someone who can be a very good quarterback for a very long time, but never like the top five. So you
0: get a team with the – you have already a great running back. If you have a strong enough defense, this is a formula that can work.
1: Can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you know, in in that system – if you have a system like that, yes. If he so, gets so hurt, saying, you're so, more. You're so more I really
1: right. like Brian Daybull. So the the upside yeah. of this year for me is Daybull. That I think there's a
0: lot of recognition to that. Yes. That he is. You look at his track record. Yeah. He's been gold everywhere he's gone. Yes. yes. He he clearly is a is an excellent motivator of of things. Yeah. All right. So I'm taking the 49ers over the Eagles. Interesting. And then uh, moving over to the AFC. What do you think? I mean, Bills Chiefs. That's exciting. Uh, Bengals Chiefs. I'm sorry. Did I say Bills? Yeah, I met. I was picturing Joe Burr. I was picturing those god-awful uniforms the Bengals wear. Um, I'm disappointed. Actually, I really like the Bills. I would love to have seen them go on. Um, but the Bengals smushed them. Yeah, another is just like last year. Like
1: they are a momentum team. Um, so I, I think I think much of this is going to depend on how healthy or not Patrick Mahomes' ankle is. Because mm-hmm. I think a hot if if the Bengals have a week to game plan for a sort of. Pocket, yeah, pocket locked Mahomes. Agreed, yeah. I, I think it might not
0: even be close, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right about that. So, if he if they can do some yeah. kind of so, Bengals, so 49ers, we need like a, the, it's like a
1: is that Super Bowl 23? I was gonna say,
0: is that like Ken Anderson and what Steve Young? I thought mean, like that was Boomer, but is it a Boomer and Steve Young? Wasn't or? that like the, the Icky Shuffle?
1: <laughs> the Icky Woods Shuffle, man. Super Icky Bowl was 23. Awesome. Um, oh my gosh, did you nail that? I nailed it. Super Bowl twenty three, <laughs> January twenty second, nineteen eighty nine. I'm so not surprised that. Oh my god! You called that I totally out. Totally got that. Well, okay, so that was Boomer Esiason and Boomer Esiason versus versus who played quarterback? Steve Young. I think it was. It's gotta be Steve Young. Post Montana, not Joe Montana. Post Montana. No, it was Montana. It was. Winning a touchdown. Joe Montana to John Taylor with thirty four seconds left. Damn. All right.
0: Jerry Rice was the MVP. Okay, so this could be the revenge game for the Bengals. <laughs> Let's hear for Super Bowl 23, man. I think, I, part of me, the Cowboys game me, is like, you can never root for the 49ers. However, the Brock Purdy story is really cool, and uh, they have really exciting players. Uh, so we'll see. Um, all right. Are you going to issue a Super Bowl prediction? You're going to wait till we actually know the matchup? <laughs> uh,
1: no, what the hell? I'm going to go uh, Bengals 31. Uh, um, 49ers. No, nah, I think it'll be lower scoring. Uh, Bengals 27, 49ers
0: twenty seven, forty ers twenty. I'm gonna, I'm gonna delay. I'm, gonna, I, I'm with you on who the teams are. I gotta
1: ponder more on the <laughs> score. I think it might be a high scoring affair, despite the great defenses. So I have bad news for you. Mm. The next two Tuesday mornings, I am not here. Um. Well, it's a good thing we've jammed in a bunch of episodes already. Or we'll find find another time. time. All right. right. So uh, he is at Bobby Chesney. I'm at Steve underscore Vladek while Twitter is still a thing. Although, man, Twitter sucks now. The algorithm is terrible. Twitter. uh, You don't like the – okay, before we go,
0: the following versus for you. Oh, God. And it it keeps keeps – I I always switch to following, but it it nudges you back. It nudges you back to for you. For you,
1: Bobby, is not for me.
0: Okay, I got to say, I don't mind it too much because I have repeatedly not spotted that's what's happened. And I'm you can tell something's a little weird, but then I'm seeing some tweets that I was interested in seeing that I might have missed otherwise. So I actually, I think I might be in the minority here, but I like having both those feed mixes. Um, I don't. I, I prefer the default to be the most recent from those I affirmatively choose to follow. But I don't mind having something slightly different, especially in a moment where I've kind of scrolled through a bunch of stuff and I'm eager to see a few more things. I just wish that when I set the one I want it to be on as the default, it would stay there. But I don't mind it so much. And as I said early on, when we first debated the future of Twitter, I stay with my position that it's not going anywhere because there's just too much, too much network effect. It's too locked in. It's too useful. Competitors don't have what it takes. At least not yet. Um, All
1: right, where were we in the sign-off when we started down that path? Uh, We'll be back sometime soon. Until then, stay safe out there. Adios.